Welcome to the Recap Book Chat. Thank you so much for stopping by today. We are going to be discussing, I think, a very important book for our time period. It is called The Tech Wise Family by Andy Crouch. And the byline underneath that says, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in an in its proper place. So you're the one that got this for me, and thank you. I have loved reading it. Where did you hear about it? Well, I listened to a preacher from Arkansas, Jonathan Stormont, and he mentioned it in his sermon. I mean, he actually, funny story was, he was picking Andy Crouch up, I think, at the airport or something, and his wife was busy, so he had to take, he has like five kids, he had to take him with him in his little minivan and um, Andy Crouch gets in and I think he's read the book or skimmed the book. But anyway, he's asking Andy Crouch about tech wise things. And one of his commandments, his tech wise commandments was um, commitments, not commandments, commitments was no screens before double digits. And then all of Jonathan's <laughs> kids are little and they're watching a movie in the back. And he's like, awkward (laughs) and I really still applaud him because you know like it's too late for me as a grandma I mean you got you're raised Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and because of the time you were raised you we had limits Mm -hmm. but I and it's not you had no cell phone you had nothing like this and I think this book is very important for the time we're living in like you said it's very very, it could be. It could really help. There's a ton of um, what do you call those infographics in yes. the book that really will surprise you. And if you're really big on infographics, um, visuals, visual information, I, I thought it was just well. And it's a quick read. It's quick. It's a quick and easy and very needed read. I think everybody needs to read this because. We all, I think, probably overuse technology, and I, I and think don't it's, even. I don't think we even know it. We don't. We're not aware. It. No, because it's normal, mm-hmm. and but uh, so in everything he says in here is counter counter culture, counter cultural, I guess. And so, and he talks about that. Some of this is like you're swimming upstream, yes. and that's difficult. And, but we know that the easy way is not the best way. And so, but sometimes you forget that. Well, it's even mentioned that the last thing that learners need is for it to be easy. Because Mm. if research says difficulty and resistance press our bodies to learn. And, uh, you know, productive, there's that productive resistance that, and you need resilience but if it's easy, you don't, you're not learning anything. Yes. You know, I, I don't know in the world of education, how many times I've heard, we got to keep these kids up on technology. And that's so, that is such a fear, fear factor thing, because for one technology, when they enter the workforce is going to be a whole lot different than it is when they're in third grade. Yes. And number two, technology is easy. Yes. They will and- learn technology. It's the other things. And I like what he calls it in the 3D world that they're not going to get and you can't gather they'll never be seven again Mm -hmm. so they can't wonder at a bumblebee or you know look at a flower blowing in the meadow they they can't do that when they're they won't do that when they're 30 probably yes so true well and because they don't they've never 
had that skill kind of built up in them or, or had the space to do that. And because there's so many distractions and so many things vying for your attention, if you're not intentional about creating that space, you won't have it. And, and I loved what, you know, in the book is set up. So there's these, uh, oh, first of all, it starts with his daughter who did the foreword. And I really liked what she said. The best part of TechWise Parenting is focusing on something older and better than the newest thing. The key word is better. Mm. And that was his daughter. And she was raised in this. Yes. So I thought that was very cool that she said that. And another part, it said technology in its proper place when it help is in its proper place, when it helps us bond with real people and when we're, um, and this is an example, if technology, maybe I listen to a podcast or I saw something and I use that to start a conversation with you, that's good. Yes. But if I use my technology to end the conversation or not ever have a conversation, then it's bad. It's pretty simple. I mean, or just what does he say? If it's um, if you're using it kind of aimlessly, it's not yeah. good. He said they because they use technology, but they do it very purposefully um, and together. Usually they don't they don't just everybody has their own device and is by themselves. They do it together. They have an intentional, let's Screen do this it's for a purpose yeah. or learning a language. Cause he said him and his daughter learned Latin and they did that purposefully together. So there's things like that, but he's right that it, it's so many times it's not intentional. It is aimless. It's, it, and it's not very productive. And he does. And I'm going to, I wrote this down for myself cause I am trying to learn a language. I, I'm trying to do that. And I, I loved his little schedule because he said all of his writing he does on a computer. Mm-hmm. And his schedule is work on the screen for 24 minutes and then have a schedule break for six to 30 minutes where you go weed the garden or you go walk for a walk or make a cup of tea. And then you go back to the screen for 24 minutes and have a cycle. And I like that. I think that's so good. Yes. So my favorite quote Oh my goodness. There was a lot, but my favorite one, I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So he mentioned him. So I have to do that, that quote, let him who cannot be alone, be aware of community. Let him who is not in community, be aware of being alone. Mm. Is that not powerful? So powerful. And it hits everybody. Yeah. People don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was. He was actually in, he's a German in Germany when the when the war was going on and he actually made it to New York he could have stayed here but he said he could not he could not help rebuild Germany if he didn't go back and suffer the trials and tribulations they were going going through and when he went back of course he had been very vocal against Hitler and he was um, arrested and I think he was in jail for two years or something and then he was hanged but he kind of he he he's i think that part of him they said he was kind of responsible for the demise of hitler and in that two years i think he wrote a really uh, powerful book the cost of 
Christianity or something. So I, I'm just amazed that he would have him in, in a book on technology because you think, well, in 1940s, how much technology was it? But there's always been things that make you part of community and things that pull you away. And you need a balance. You need some yes. alone time. You need alone time. But then you also need together time. For sure. For sure. And I love how he broke it up. So, and you already mentioned that, but the foundation of the book is, he says these 10 tech wise commitments. And I love that his whole family knows these commitments and this is what they, they, this is their values. And just real quickly, I'll just go through. So you kind of have an idea. Um, Like one is we develop wisdom and courage together as a family. Two, we want to create more than we consume. Three, we are designed for rhythm of work and rest. Um, so one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year, we turn off our devices and worship, feast, play, and rest together. Four, and I had a, I had something to add to that. Uh, rest in order to work, not to not rest from work. Yes. So actually, the rest prepares you to work because you know God made the world in six days. And then he rested. So what did man do? Man was made and then he rested. Mm -hmm. And then Adam and Eve were supposed to work in the garden. But I thought that was cool the way he mentioned that. That was cool. Well, if if you want to talk about each one, we could go back to two, too, because I like that we want to create more than we consume. And we don't think that way. And we consume a lot. We are consumers because that is what we're trained to be. Because, you know, it's nothing against capitalism, but that's how it works. You, you have to have people who consume. And so from an early age, we are, you know, how many commercial, I don't know how many commercials I've seen by the age of five, you know, Mm -hmm. for this toy or this, whatever we're trained to be consumers. So I like that shift of let's create instead of consuming. He talks about your living room, the hub of your home, having things that reward engagement, reward, Mm -hmm. uh, like a piano or a place where kids can draw or write or and so that did inspire me because my son likes to type and he has a typewriter but he never uses it because I have it in a closet in his room so I'm like okay so I got a little table and I put it out in the living room so he can type and he's been typing a lot more since it's in the living room area so I'm like I I really like that idea of having, and he talks about having musical instruments available too. anything that's knitting or anything like that, that's creating something, have that a craft table or something that the kids can and adults can easily access. I loved his, it's all about skills. And he said, what kids today, they know how to, they know how to play candy crush, but that's no skill. But years ago, they knew how to make candy with grandma Mm. or mom. And that is a skill because you have to do science. You have to find the hard boiled stage. You have to, and believe me, we've made taffy before for Pioneer Day and it is not easy. To sometimes it comes out and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the fun in it. You can eat your mistakes in the kitchen usually. But I just thought that was kind of, uh, you know, you're in the moment. You are um, not sacrificing it to, uh, what does he call it? You're not tethered to a glowing rectangle. <laughs> mm, yes. I thought that was kind of a cool way to say that. Yeah, I go like on. That. You can Okay, what, with your list. Okay, number 4. What did what did you have to add to uh we wake up before our devices do and they go to bed before we do. Um I loved um I loved how he said to me that was kind of a separation. 
So you, you wake up and you are grateful and, and you've, we've talked about that, how you need to be grateful and all that. And he said, a lot of people grab their phone and then they start scrolling and then you're mm. going to get mad or whatever, mad, sad, or bad. <laughs> That's <laughs> going to be it. And I love that. And just take time and then like make your tea. He make, he's not a coffee drinker. That would be my one fault for on him, but uh, (laughs) I like coffee and tea, but you know, make your coffee. And that's what I like about the French press is you're involved in making your coffee. You're grinding it. You're putting it in there. I just like that. And that's what during that time, you know, take time to thank God for your blessings and all that. And I, I, can I make a confession? Mm-hmm. because I have, I do, I do make my coffee and all that, but you know what? I jump on Wordle way too quickly. So I'm going to hold back on Wordle. Uh, I'm, cause I want to just jump on that. And I said, why am I, am I doing that? You know, and, cause it's a screen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm, I, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to wait. I'm not going to wait as late as your brother, Cam, who does it at 1150 p.m. but I am going to just hold off because he kind of act like have a time where you do your screen and then don't you know instead of spurts all the time just like do and then work and then go back I mean all the time on it and letting it rule your life yes like it's it's there to serve you you're not there to respond to it and did you like it the go to bed (laughs) yes Uh, well and with that too he says you'll have the rest this is the first thing in the morning um you'll have the rest of the day tethered to the impatient wider world let that wait a moment give your devices one more minute in their beds so i like that now that you know that okay like why why jump into it because there's like it's almost like there's always going to be stress and there's always going to be something in the news there's always going to be something and but it's you don't have to engage in that first thing so I liked that taking a break so that's not something I struggle with luckily I I am actually I put my phone on airplane mode um but when I go to bed although I do need to work on probably not having it in my room because I do have it by my bed but it's on airplane mode but then I forget that I have it on airplane mode and my husband gets mad at me sometimes if he's trying to contact me and it's on airplane mode. So I think I think it's good to put them all in a central location because, he, you know, we've had enough. You you've read other books or listened to podcasts about it's not good to sleep by your phone because the EMFs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But also he acts like it's not good to have anything in your bedroom besides your bed. I mean, you're supposed to be sleeping in there and um i kind of like that i I don't really want any lights in there or anything so i think that's a good goal it's a good goal and i'm gonna work on that because i do i like to read at night but i also that is my time to do that's my quiet time when no one's asking me questions that that's when i do get caught up on facebook or whatever that is my screen time but i need to schedule or have that before going to the going to bed so yeah and then what another thing that really blew my socks off was during I think it was during that chapter he ta- he said only eight percent read before they go to bed yes that yeah I couldn't believe that because I you know we have those special book lights that are tinted orangey so they're n- not the blue light and that's a very calming thing to read before you go to bed yes and I, I can't believe only eight people and I'm thinking how many people are taking medication 
to go to sleep when you might be just needing a routine. You know, you can't just walk, be on your screen and then think, you know, you might be able to do that when you're younger, but as you get older, that blue screen, whatever is going to kind of affect your mind, I think a little bit. So I'll I'll put a link in the show notes to the lights we use because I really liked them. And I even have a bigger version that my boys use that like clamp onto their beds. And so I really like that. It is very soothing. I love them. I I got to use Titus's when I was down there and I, I... I thought, woo, and he's he's acting on that wait, waiting, uh, the waking and sleeping, fatigue and isolation compound our immaturity and susceptibility to temptation, mm. and he's going through. This is in that it's page one seventeen. It talks about how um, at one time, long ago, well, probably even when you were fifteen, a fifteen-year-old that's having some anxiety that she's overcome or problems or whatever, she would go down the hall to her parents and talk to them, and then um, they would give her counsel, and um, they would not—they would not just speak because they love her. They're going to speak from their experience, and it's not shooting from the hip, as I would say that, you know. Yes. But now this girl. She's she has anxiety or, or questions or whatever. She goes on social media and it said, but but this text and emoji mediated social support is thin. An echo chamber of teenagers with their limited perspective. It keeps a whole circle of friends awake late into the night and robs that 15 year old and her parents or even older siblings of an in-person conversation, one that could be painful, challenging, reassuring, or even transformative. Mm. Yes, very powerful. Like, and we don't even know we're missing that. Mm-hmm. So that's why as a family, you know, if we, if I had a family, if I, if you were 15 right now, everybody, I would just have a dock station. I've seen those, a docking station everybody's device goes in there because I've heard third graders playing Fortnite at night at two in the morning. Oh no. Yeah. And, and I can tell it that they're draggy and I'm like, why, why, why are you? And then they'll tell me. And I said, does your mom know? Well, the mom is tired. She's asleep. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things we should be doing, but I'm probably, I mean, I think one of these commitments will resound to somebody and that would be, you know, you work on them one at a time. And at the end of each chapter, he says, uh, family uh, and uh, like couch reality check. And he tells you how well his family has done on each and the, one. Yeah. And they do better on some than they do on others. And he's very honest with that. And it helps you keep it, keep it real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, but I mean, I like the idea. Why not set your goal extremely high? I, I can't remember. We, that was, we read that in one book that, you need to set your goal where you can just barely touch it because mm-hmm. that's how you get better and you keep moving it up. It's like someone learn, wanting to dunk the basketball, right? You got to jump and you have to, you just jump as high as you can, barely touch it. And then you keep moving the bar up. So, um, okay. Number five, we aim for no screens before double digits at school and home. So, uh, we're, <laughs> I have two kids that are under double digits and they do, do, we do do screens. So, and then they do it at school as well. 
So, um, but I will say this about you have always monitored them and limited them. So, uh, yes. kudos to you for that. I mean, you weren't, you don't have your head in the sand, you know? Well, I learned that from you. Cause even back in late day. <laughs> 80s, early nineties, first Nintendo, you, you said we only had an hour on it and, and I didn't get to play very much because my brother was better at Mario than me. I died pretty quickly and he would, he would get to play a lot longer, but that was it. So, um, but I appreciate that you did that. I very much appreciated that because we played outside so much. I mean, I had a wonderful childhood. We rode bikes. We, you know, built, dug in sand. We went exploring. I did, we did a lot of stuff outside. So we weren't tethered to that device. He's saying, and have we, I think we've had this in a book before, maybe Dr. Leaf's book, I think, but it talks about how if you take notes by hand, but you never read them again, your retention is still increased. Yes. Oh, I knew you would love that part about <laughs> the physical book. Yes. How, yes. Yes. How if you read a book, a physical book and you're turning pages, you will have better retention than from a screen or probably audio at that matter too. Cause it's, you're involving your body and your mind. Well, I've heard people say, well, I know where, you know, if they're talking about Bible verse, they'll know where it's at in their Bible. Like it's on this column or it's on yes. this side. So something to be said with real pages. And I know Trey Morgan, he preaches in Childress, Texas. He said, He's really kind of advocating bringing Bibles back instead of your screen because he said there's a lot of distraction in your on your screen. You get a you get a notification, you're gone. Mm -hmm. And he said if you can withstand that temptation, but he said I can't. And so Andy Crouch gives his wife at the end of the book he gives her the credit for seeing that he had too much fondness for technology, and his wife called him on it. And so he's he is in this struggle and he writes this book to help everyone that's in the struggle too you know but kudos to putting your ego aside and listening to your wife i mean yeah that's, that's rare that's very rare so but i i really like the um oh because we were talking about the the book the physical thing and you know that question in our our book journals and at first we kind of are like why does that even matter? And it's, it says, uh, where were you when reading this book? And we always just put quotes there or something else. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? Now I'm going to start writing where I am because he talked about that. That helps you remember too, because where you're at, that where your physical body is at, what you were doing while you were reading, you know, your location Important. will help you remember. So I'm like, I'm mm -hmm. going to start writing that down. So, well, I have written it on a few and then I still write the quote though. Yeah. You know, but uh, I do think, I think it's, he, it gives you a different perspective. And, and he says this, which I thought is, a new, is cool. The biggest problem with most screen-based activities is that because they are designed to keep us engaged, we can learn them far too quickly. And this is my part I circled. They ask too little of us mm. and make the world too simple. So I know teachers have talked with me and I've noticed, you know, a lot of times kids don't have the persistence and resilience that they once had because it's designed. Those screens are supposed to be engaging. They're not supposed to give you trouble. Yes. And there was a, there was this one um, 
I can't remember it. It was back when I think Titus was born. I was doing some research on on actual games that I could use in the classroom that would really deepen their thinking. And not a lot came up, but this one was, remember it had chocolate in the title. Yes. And, and I showed you how it was problem solving. I thought, well, that, that one was not a success. It was hard and it's gone. You can't do that anymore. I think it was chocolate fix or something. And you were supposed to put the chocolate, you were, it's kind of like you had some clues and you're arranging different chocolates in order. And we did it a couple of times at school, but man, they couldn't, it was hard and they didn't like it. And I thought, well, I think it is designed. I think he's right. They just asked too little of us. That basically you're just swiping, <laughs> swiping well, and, you know. I like how he made the, which it's something we've noticed, but I'm glad he, he pulled that out is that even entertainment, the, the movies and the shows, they used to be longer and they used to have kind of a, a, a slower buildup, not so much uh, yeah, special effects mm-hmm. and to engage people. And now it's, they've increasingly you know the kids shows have got shorter they'll do like two shows in one now because and very fast cuts very fast edits because we our attention span collectively has gotten that much shorter and um so i like that he pulled that out because i'm like it shows where we're going and it's not a good spot i mean we're pretty much gonna have like a fish uh attention span pretty soon if we don't do something about it and even Mm -hmm. my son my oldest son he like i love old classic movies and i've watched them a lot growing up well he won't hardly watch them with me he's like i i don't like them when they're black and white and i'm like "I, i don't understand that and now i think it's that's you know that's because the stuff is easier to watch now it's harder. You have to put more effort into understanding the dialogue and the more complex plots and different stuff in older shows and older movies. Although he will do uh, little, rascals. little Rascals. The old Little Rascals. That's so, it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but how and he's your older one, but your youngest son will watch those. Yes. He likes them. Yes. He so, he's He's my classic movie guy, so... I can watch but, those. But there him. is something to be said for the classic movies. They did have a lot more depth. Yes. And they really asked more of their audience than, they you did. know, and, and books do. Some books ask a lot of the reader, you know, like Treasure Island, man, Robert Louis Stevenson, he asked a lot of yes. the reader. Don't come without all of your brain, not with half your brain tied behind your back. No, no, you've got to bring it all. And you're, and nowadays, see the whole trend. Kids love graphic novels. Why? You don't have to imagine anything. Yes. You, you don't have to do any work at all. I mean, now I do like them like- as a stepping stone. But you're yeah. right. We need to as a stepping stone, and then kind of push them to harder literature. Another thing before we move to the next one, and this one will blow your socks off too. The quest to cure boredom with entertainment actually makes the problem worse. Yes. So profound. He mentioned it as a quick fix. You don't want the kids screaming. So you put that on. But he said that that does that that thwarts the chance to work on patients. Yes. So our kids have no patience because we, we don't, you I mean, you're not going to have a virtue unless you work on it. 
and not just kids. He said, if oh, you're standing yeah, in the grocery too. line or the airport, that's a chance for you to work on your patients. And, and, and we don't. So, And even I think that's part of the problem in schools is they want technology because it's easy. And yes. he says, I like the way he re- he recorded it. The sad truth is that many schools are, are intoxicated with technology. And he said they can apply for grants and get them and all that. So they don't really have to do anything. The technology does it for you because they screens are easy. They're engrossing, absorbing and rewarding children, just like they do for adults. And, but you're not learning. Well, and I figure that's, that, that's a symptom of a larger problem. I definitely think teachers are overworked and underpaid. I think we're asking way too much of teachers anyway, so I understand that they're like, that's a, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed. They have so much going on and different things in their classroom. They're trying to deal with um, maybe special needs or different things. There's a lot going on. So I think teachers definitely are overworked. So I, I don't think the problem might, I don't think the problem is the teachers. I think it's the system. There's a, Oh no, there's I a, wasn't saying it was the teachers. I said schools. Yes, because schools. I know a lot of teachers that didn't want technology because yes. it's another thing for teachers to do. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for your schedule to get everything in. You can't, And then you have to do this. And, and a lot of times you have to like you put your grades in, but you still have to print them out at the end of the year. So technology is not always a teacher's friend. It can be, but it needs to be limited. And they still need to do a lot. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'll just have them do a create a powerpoint or a slideshow on that but he said let them make it with paper and Mm. let them let them actually create it and i i realized i remember you guys having to do some projects or something and then you get to the you couldn't get your whole title on the on the paper because you did see on on a screen you could make that work it's gonna work perfectly but on paper you're gonna have to adjust you're gonna have to problem solve problem solve yes and that's how you get good at it and then, like you said, you're, you're creating something and you have a physical something. So I think that is important because we're, we are, I like that he said that too. We're not just a mind and we're not just a soul. We're a body, mind, and soul and about incorporating all of that. Together. So, together. Yeah. Now, and the boredom stuff started in, in one chapter and it still went again in chapter six, which is uh, number six says we use screens for a purpose. And we use them together, but it was also in the one before that learning and working. So he thought it was so important that he mentioned it twice in two different chapters. Huge, huge. Oh, that's what I was going to say about the boredom too. I really liked that. He said that boredom is a, if someone's bored, it should be like an indicator almost like use that as like, Oh, as a warning sign. Boredom is actually a crucial warning sign. It's important in its own way as physical pain. It's a sign that our capacity for wonder and delight, contemplation and intention, real play and fruitful work has been dangerously depleted. Ooh, yes. I'm like, uh, so we, if we hear someone say they're bored, we're like, that should be a warning. I'm like, oh no, you haven't been, you haven't been creating anything, you know. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Yeah. And uh, this over on page 147, it says, um, 
but also avoiding the suffering of learning, patience, wisdom, and virtue, and putting them into practice, they have left me as the ring left Bilbo, feeling all thin, sort of stretched, if you know what I mean, like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. <laughs> I like that analogy. I think we've I probably all felt cool. that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have any more butter, and you're trying to make that go. And you just keep stretching it. Yeah. Okay, number seven, car time is conversation time. Oh, my goodness. What do you think if, about if, that? Well, if people get nothing else from the book. See, like, I'm, I am not a tech-wise family because I have my family's gone. But grandmas need that because when they have their grandkids, don't just put them on a device. So mm-hmm. I thought this was very powerful because it talks about it takes seven minutes to get into a conversation. Yes. I didn't know that. But isn't that ironic? Because seven is the perfect number in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Isn't that? So, you know, you, you've been to a gathering and you talk to people and usually it's under seven minutes. Yes. And then you move on. <laughs> because you know, it like, gets to that awkward point. And it's yeah. like, well, and I like that he said that conversations, you uh, you're you taking take a, a risk. risk yeah so and I'm like ooh, that really helped me change my perspective on conversations because it's like someone has to be vulnerable and take a risk for the conversation to really go anywhere mm-hmm. I mean surface it's pretty you're not really taking a risk but I guess you are in a way because you, you don't I like that he said you don't know what's coming you're yeah. conversing with someone you don't know what they're gonna say and he said something you don't know what you're gonna say <laughs> yeah, you don't so you don't yeah I mean, sometimes something will come out of my mouth and I'll say to myself, and everybody probably has had that moment. Did I say that out loud? Yes. I, I I said that yeah. out loud. And you're like, oh, yeah, take a risk. And, you know, I, I think that we want it to be easy, but, you know, you say that all the time. When you deal with people, it's going to get messy. Yes. And, I, and it takes courage and grace. Courage yeah. and grace to and we, be productive. We were blessed, just God put us out in the country. So we had, um, we had like 40 minutes in or 30 minutes in and 30 minutes. So we had over an hour of uh, car time every day. Every day, day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. except Saturday, really. Yeah. And I think that that was good because we're, we were pretty open family and I didn't keep secrets from you guys. If you were uh, not toeing the line and we talked about it, the only thing I do remember us listening to was um, Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. But I loved what he said about, you know, he doesn't want the kids in the back watching a screen, but he's okay with audio books. And I loved his reason why, because the driver is also in on that. So you are doing community. So, and if you're doing video, then just the people in the back are into that. So I thought that was, that was cool. It is cool. And I think that's, that's really, I love that. I love doing audiobooks too. So we've, we've done that before when we go to see you and it's, I think it makes the time go, especially, and I don't do it all the time, but if they start kind of getting antsy or whatever, you know, it's like, you know what, let's listen to an audiobook. So And, and he's talking about how, when your kids are going to have a meltdown, when you, when they don't have a device, he says, none of this comes automatically or easily for children or parents. There will be childish meltdowns on the part of children and parents. (laughs) Something about confined quarters and limited options of the car brings out the very worst in all of us at one time or another. 
And then it's, uh, then he says, of course, that too is part of developing wisdom. Mm. Don't you love that? I do. So it's, it's going to come, but it has to have practice. And he said something in here, and I've actually done that when I'm not driving. He said, look in the other people's cars. And I did that. I did that last year when we were driving to Arkansas for the family reunion. And I did it because we were in a town and I'm looking around. Everybody's on their cell phone. Every mm. single person, even the drivers, people that were in a car by themselves were. Texting. And that's more dangerous than a drunk driver. I was just like, oh, my, and Cam, Cam was acting like it was nothing because he'd seen it, but oh, I'm, yes. I'm appalled, appalled. So I guess I do. I just, uh, I did just didn't, I was surprised. Fine. But okay. I, I like that one. Yeah. Uh, number eight, spouses have one another's passwords and parents have total access to children's devices. So my children do not have devices with their own data plan. That's at this point idea. so i and i think we've our rule that we have said is you'll get a phone when you get a driver's license so hmm. that's kind of our that's what we said because that's when you need it if you're yeah i feel like when you're driving so but i like that but definitely something that you should definitely have your kids i mean you're paying for it you should have their kids all that and i don't i like how he made the distinction of that's not because some people say that's an invasion of privacy, but he said they they can have private conversations at school. You know, they can have time in their room. They there's a lot of privacy, but with technology, that's still something we need to protect them from because there's so much pornography and so much um, other things trying to get at our kids. So we definitely still need to to guard that. And I think uh, he mentions that one in three children in the United States live without their biological father in the home. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really sad because that, that, you know, he talked about his friend, Matt, who Matt takes charge and he, he is in charge of the technology. And I thought that's a, a dad would be more that way. I think than moms, cause moms are cooking dinner. They're doing all this mm -hmm. other things. And, and he says, uh, on 171, all addictions feed on and are strengthened by emptiness. So as you've said before, when, when people are hoarders and stuff like that, that's not the problem. No. So pornography is not the problem. It's the emptiness it's that's the symptom. problem. Yes. But because any addiction, it there has to be a brokenness there that, or, um, uh, but this emptiness, you're supposed to be feeling that with uh, the 3D world. But if you live in this glowing screen world, it, it is empty. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you look at a chocolate chip cookie on a glowing screen. It's like, oh, is that going to help you? <laughs> no. I don't want to see a cup of coffee on the glowing screen. I want to have it in my hand, you know, so. And he said that um, sin begins with separation. And I thought that was interesting too. And it's true. Like if, if you do something that, you know, you, you try to hide it, you try to separate oh, and distance good. yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, it's good for us to be aware of that in ourselves and with our kids. If we notice them separating themselves from us or from the family, mm -hmm. or, you know, there's probably a deeper reason for that. And be the person, be the parent that will say, I spent too much time on my phone. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I'm sorry, mommy has been on her phone because his little, uh, he had a little diatribe there where he talked about 2007 is when the smart came, 
phone came out and all those kids who were born in 2007 have been vying for their parents' attention. Mm. And I said, oh, that just kind of broke my heart because yeah, yeah, you didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you were born in um, 1985. Does that sound old to you? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure it sounds older to my kids. They're like, whoa, I was born in a different century. So (laughs) different decade. Yeah. I was 1959. So that is really old, but I'm just thinking, yeah, there were distractions, but not the kind that fed and kind of propped you up to get more. This one is like an insatiable curiosity. Like when your phone dings, like you got to hear, you got to see who it was from, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, of course I can't usually find mine. I loved it when they said share passwords with your husband. First of all, I don't even know my (laughs) passwords myself, but you know, Uh, yes, everybody at school knew my password, but me, I was the one they said, they would say, I think you're supposed to capitalize it, blah, blah, blah. So you have, you have a password problem. I do. I have a password problem. And every time I try to help you, you've changed it, but then you don't remember it. So yeah. And they did have a quote, Martin Luther, to use an older and hilariously apt metaphor attributed to Martin Luther. We can't stop birds from flying over our head, but we can stop them from building a nest in our hair. I love that. <laughs> I love that. So and that is good. That's the whole basis of his book, really, is about intentionality. So. Mm-hmm. You can't, we can't change society, but we can keep it from, yeah, keep it from hurting our family. Okay. Number nine is we learn to sing together rather than letting recorded and amplified music take over our lives and worship. Which is hilarious to me because I remember you would try to sing along and your brother would nearly cry because he, he would not like you singing. No, he he wanted, let them do it. Let them do it. Yes. Which I thought was funny, but I mean, you could sing church camp songs together. And we did that too Mm -hmm. without music, but I I like what he said, because um, what were you talking about earlier about the masterpiece by Francine Rivers? That guy remembered Jesus loves me. Yes. He had a near death experience and he was almost dying. And his soul was going to hell and they, uh, all this was happening, but what kept him out of it was that song from childhood. And, and he grew up in a horrible situation, but for some reason that song came to mind and that's what kept him, that brought him back to reality, you know, out of the depths. I I do think, you know, if, if you sing it yourself and, and I loved how he said, it doesn't matter if you're on in tune or not. You're Mm -hmm. doing that. I've been by myself a lot of times in the car and I would sing and I'm sure it wouldn't be pretty, but you know, you can sing like, and I love hearing Jonah run through the house and say, I've got the joy, joy, joy. joy." (laughs) And he's singing it loud, you know, and everything. So if he's ever, you know, he might be 20 years old trying to drive through when he's tired, he might be singing that song and that song might save his life. You know what I'm saying? You never, yeah, you never know. So I love that because so- singing is a different part of your brain. That's not going to be the same part. So, Well, and I like that he said that it uh, uses singing is what he said. What, maybe one of the only things that uses the, you know, your, sing- your mind, your body, your spirit, your soul. Mm-hmm. It, it captures, what, what is it? Here's the quote. Simply singing may be the one human activity that most perfectly combines heart, mind, soul, and strength. So... 
Well, it says to sing and make melody in your heart. So you're giving it all. You're putting it. You've got to be paying attention. Yes. Okay. And last but not least, number 10, we show up in person for the big events of life. We learn how to be human by being fully present in our moment of greatest vulnerability. We hope to die in one another's arms. Powerful. So Powerful. powerful. And I, he said that him and his wife made a commitment that anytime that they they got a wedding invitation or a funeral they heard about a funeral they would one of them would go and try to be in attendance of that and they said only very few times were they not possibly able to go but i thought that's so powerful and what a great commitment to make i love that because those are very important like he talks about the importance of being physically there and you guys are really good at that i mean i know y'all have had to go to a lot of funerals recently and nobody wants to do that, but there's something really powerful and profound. You're, you're really human. You know, you're showing up for, mm-hmm. for everyone and you're honoring the person be, that died. I think that might be why it's even, you know, I think that you are, you're doing something you don't want to do. And that's why the family really appreciates that even more than a wedding. Weddings are cheerful. You get a free meal. You know what I'm saying? That's true. Here, funerals or something you're doing something just to support yes and then i love this part right here the actual result of a technological pursuit of everlasting life will be for many who attempt it a life that is ultimately not worth living ending one's days not at home in the care of family but in a purposely sterile impersonal technology technology stuffed environment of a hospital at incredible expense enduring more ever more evasive heroic measures until we finally expire and i loved that that connects with the book we're reading the secret keeper because they have brought their mom home to die so she can die at home Mm. and her and and just being at i know both my parents that's what they want they did not want to die in a hospital Mm -hmm. and i think that is because you they're you're not in charge you know they're dying you, it's inevitable. Nobody gets out of this alive. But for your final measures to um, not be with your loved ones, that's what COVID did. That separated people that were dying. Yes. And they couldn't be with their families, which yes. is it's heartbreaking. And he says that too. There, there's nothing so holy as being present for a birth or for a death. And I think we need to look, we we need to change our way of thinking about death. I think a lot of people are scared of it. It's unknown. They don't want to look at it. And so, you know, our society is all about look as young as you can because let's avoid death, but we need to embrace it. I mean, it's like you said, it's, and I like how he said that it's, this is something that we need to honor and not be afraid of, but like, this is a, a holy place. You know, there's a, this is a birth or a death. You're, you're, either coming in or going out. But I think that's important to look at it that way. And as uh, you know, he says at the end of that chapter, we are meant to spur one another along on the way to a better life, the life that really is life. Yes. And not a fake life. And he talked about a friend of his, uh, David Sachs. That was a beautiful story. Um, I just, you know, because he was there and it, it would be, you're, you have to be brave and vulnerable to ask for people to come. Yes. But we ought to be brave enough to go. 
Yes. Someone asked us. So, uh, one other thing, though, we did not talk about the difference in toil and work and leisure. Okay, talk about that. Well, toil is fruitless labor. Like if you're in a factory, you are going to toil for eight hours, but you haven't created anything that will be uh, there. But work, we are made to work. Work was, that's what we were here for. We're supposed to work. And um, children no longer see parents doing something challenging. Uh, You talked about um, the canoe, building the canoe. Yes, I saw that on a, a fixture upper episode and I thought that was really profound because it fit right with the book. Chip had Chip Gaines had this canoe uh handmade, I think, and it was just beautiful. And his sons were a part of it. They got to kind of help work on it at one part. And when it's all finished, they're on the lake. Chip is telling his two boys, he's like, This is a you know, this is something that's gonna outlive us all, hopefully. Like this is something that I'm passing down to you. You can pass down to your kids and their to their kids. It's a generational thing. And I just thought I loved that because we don't really think in generational type of thinking. We don't think in leaving legacies. We're just like, okay, you know, very, we're very throwaway. Let's buy this. It'll work for a couple of years. Da, da, da. But when something takes a, a long time to create and it takes a lot of effort, it usually lasts a long time. And it's there's a skill to it. It takes craftsmanship. And that's what you're talking about as work, something Mm -hmm. that can benefit others for generations. So toil is fruitless labor and work is worthwhile. And then leisure is fruitless uh, escape from labor and it's unrestorative. It's in it. And he gave the example of watching a football game. You're not doing anything, Mm -hmm. but if you were playing, you would be doing something. And he gave an example in the singing chapter, how when he was a kid and they played baseball, everybody stood up and everybody sang the national anthem. He said, it wasn't always pretty, but we sang it and we did not have a star singing it. We all sang it. And I said, Oh, that's so, you know, I love that. Mm, Everybody was involved. And I had this one other, if this is so good, (laughs) he said the very best of life has almost nothing to do with the devices we buy it has a lot to do with the choices we make. Yes. I just thought, wow. I mean, everything, I have all these uh, quotes. And I mean, I, I would think this would be, uh, it's a quick read, but one that you might need to reread. Yes. It's, it's, it's a uh, small but mighty read, but it's very inspirational. It has motivated me to make changes with our family. And I haven't sat down with everybody because I just finished reading it. But I, I want us as a family to go through these commitments and talk about those and make those as a family where we're all on the same page. We, you know, moving forward, we have we're very intentional with what we do with our technology and what we allow in. And then some that's other I, just that's the goal. He has some just tips like do a Sunday afternoon tea. You could invite people. And he said, it's not a meal. It's not hard. Just have some yes. cookies and tea. And another thing was with, he, he's an advocate for eating together, of course, but to do that with candles. Mm. Isn't that cool? Because you can't that really cool. do that in the summertime, probably because the, the sun is out yeah. a lot. But in the winter, hey. Yeah, why summer. not? Yeah. Well, I think that is a wrap on the TechWise family by Andy Crouch. And I'm going, to, I have a new one. Keep those book lights, um, keep those pages turning and those brain cells churning. (laughs) Ooh, good one. (laughs) And we'll see you on the next one. Take care.